Rusty Quill presents. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, everybody. This is, uh, this is Tyler Bell, host, creator, author of the West Side Fairy Tales, and you're listening to the Whore and Lit Club episode for December of 2019, the last regular episode I guess we're going to be putting out this year. Technically the last episode, Mud of the Heart, was the last story episode, which would be the last regular episode, but as far as things that you're going to be able to hear on the main feed from me, this is this is the end of it. And, uh, man, what a, what a year it's been, dude. It's, it's been a wild fucking ride for me. Um, I can't even talk about all the things I've been doing because I'm legally not allowed to, (laughs) but, uh, wow. Um, you know, a lot of you guys that are here are new. Um, this program's new. I mean, just starting January, you know, January, we started Monstro, uh, season one, which was a fucking debacle uh, of epic propor- of epic proportions. It was it, it it remains by far one of the most uh, bizarre moments in uh, in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, for those of you who don't know about Monstro, I don't I don't know how you don't, but it's a uh, I mean, heck, maybe somebody's coming back and listening to these years after and Monstro's been forgotten and somehow West Side Fairy Tales is what people remembers or what people people remember, uh, which would be great. But Monstro is this, uh, this true crime horror podcast thing that we put out uh, a year ago. It was a joint venture between 
me, Jack Luna from the formerly of the Dark Topic podcast, now of Crime Machine, uh, and Mike Boudet of Sword and Scale, who, who pretty much funded the entire thing. And it was a it was just a weird ride, start to finish, putting that thing out. It was real gross. It was really hard to write. I think I'm still kind of cleaning it off my skin, uh, just because it was such a gross. <laughs> it was such. It was such a gross thing to write uh, at parts, and you know that that was that was the intention. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't. It wasn't like I didn't know what I was getting into. Basically, it wasn't like I I I wasn't you know sort of spearheading the effort in certain parts of it. But it, it was it was definitely a very bizarre thing to have that coming out, and then uh, and then to be writing a second season of it. And man, just like seven or eight months, I, I wrote an entire second season of that thing and, and did a, a bunch of voice work for it. And we put it out. And now I think the last or second to last episode is out right now. And the last one's going to end uh, or is going to air before the end of the year. I'm pretty sure. And that's going to be within 12 months. That's the, uh, the end, the absolute end of Monstro, which is insane to, uh, insane to think that thing popped up like a fucking like a star and then burst under the weight of its own existence almost instantaneously and it was weird too it is badly rated as the show is none of the bad ratings are my fault <laughs> which i could pretty freely say uh and, and the ones that are uh are people that i can i, I just i absolutely dismiss them uh in, in general no one has a problem with the writing and people are like the writing's fucking awesome uh, and the people that don't think the writing's good are people who are like, this isn't sword and scale. <laughs> I know. I know it's not fucking sword and scale. Uh, we all knew that. That's why we, we put a different fucking title on it. it, it you, you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> but man, uh, my whole year was fucking dominated by that. Uh, and I, it put me working on that, put me way behind on the West side fairy tales. And now that no one, we're not making monstro anymore. And there's all sorts of things that are connected to that that I can't really go into. Um, I've got to catch up on West side fairy tales. And I just felt, I just feel fucking so close to being burned out. And it's not like I work that hard in my mind. You know, I mean, other people, if I, if, when I tell other people, especially people that know what goes into writing recording production and putting things out how much I do in a year they're like that's fucking insane or they tell me I'm a liar <laughs> but uh no I, I think just this year alone I've, I'm, I'm somewhere in the ballpark of 200,000 words written um which is a lot that's a lot of that's a lot of words it's a lot of writing to do uh and I'm not done and I'm mad at myself because I'm not doing more and I really could be doing more it's not it's not outside of my wheelhouse, uh, just for some reason. And you know what it is? It, what it really is? It's just all the extra stuff that goes along with making a podcast that's not fun, that actually does make it work. Like if, I, if I had a little bit more money, if I was like even half as successful as like the, the fucking people that make Night Vale or No Sleep, like my life would be infinitely, infinitely easier because I could just hire someone to do social media and run the fucking website and and do all the a lot of the editing work for me god like if i if i could just do those things if i had someone to do just those i could i could just be you know uh working man i wouldn't have to worry about 
other things. I could just sit down and start typing and, and that's really all I want to do. And then when I, I, I say that and then when I get a chance to do it, I fucking do other things because I'm, I'm an idiot. Uh, and I never know how good I have it. <laughs> if the things, like I, I'm literally living my dream right now. I know I don't make a ton of money. Uh, anybody that knows how my numbers work and stuff, you can do the math yourself. You're like, it's not making, you know, I'm not pulling in money hand over fist and shit. But I'm doing something that I love. Like if I if I went back in time, you know, people have been talking about that uh, 2009 to 2019 sort of thing. Now I'll tell you, 2009 this this month in 2009 I had been out of the Marine Corps. Uh, I'd EAS'd, um, maybe five or six months before that. Whatever. I, I'm just bad at math. It would have been in June, so six months. So I'd been out of the Marines for half a year. I was a fucking alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> To the point where I made people nervous sometimes. Like, they'd come to drink with me, and I'd be like, hey, I made you a drink. And they're like, that's bourbon. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it's no ice in it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and people were constantly trying to tell me, like, calm down. Like, you need to, you need to take a breath kind of deal. I was getting ready to start college, which I had, I had no idea if I would succeed or not. I was really just even doing it just so I could try to, like, maybe meet girls and stuff and, like, you know, find people to drink with. Because nobody, all my entire friends group was gone, man. You know, I, it was four years and about four and a half years, really, since I'd graduated high school. So everybody was suddenly, suddenly fucking married or in other states or had like full-time jobs or were such fucking losers on the other flip side of the coin that I did not want to associate with them anymore. You know what I mean? Like... Like the guy that smoked weed maybe a little too much was all of a sudden, you know, working 50, 60 hours a week in a bank. And the one kid that everyone was just like, man, that guy's going to go places is like on the heroin. <laughs> and, and you know, you can't really, uh, you can't really fit back into that. Cause you know, I'm just like fresh out of the Marine Corps. I don't really realize it, but I'm trying to like talk about my life in a way that's going to let me heal my brain. Like I swear to God, your, your body, even if you don't quite in- interpret the symptoms the right way, your, your body's always trying to fix itself. I think like, I know, I know when I'm too stagnant for a while, you know what I mean? And I need to be exercising. Like I'll get jittery and I'll be like, and, and I'll, I'll complain to myself. He's like, Oh man, I'm not sleeping and blah, 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 blah. And what it really is, is like, you need to go for a fucking run, dude. You need to jog. You need to do some pushups. And when I was like in bad mental health states, I think I was just trying to talk to people all the time because I was like, you need to discuss all the fucking hurt inside of you so that you can kind of, you know, compartmentalize it in a little ball and see what it's made of. And then slowly but surely start to pick away at it, which I did not do for another like four years on top of, on top of that. But, uh, I had no goals and no real aspirations. I was just like, I'm going to go to college and get a business degree. Or I was I, I, like, I was like, I'm going to go and get English. I'm going to do English in school. And, uh, maybe I'll be a lawyer or something. Cause I knew I was smart enough to do that. Right. Like that's the one thing in the Marine Corps that I fucking hated was that I was smarter than most of the people I came across on a day-to-day basis, which is like, that's not like, that's not like me being a fucking like, oh, tip my hat to you, like fucking milady type on the goddamn internet. Uh, that's just the facts of the matter. <laughs> if there's any infantry Marines 
listening to this, they're going to be like, yeah, that's probably right. And for, like, the crayon eating memes are fucking real. <laughs> the stupidest human beings I have ever met in my life were fucking Marines. And I mean like, like stunning levels of stupidity, like almost practiced. Like if you saw it in a movie, you'd be like, that is horse shit. And that did not really happen. I got into an argument with a guy one time uh, who outranked me by three ranks, basically, or two ranks. I was a Lance Corporal. He was a sergeant. So E3 versus E5. And me and another guy were trying to convince him that dinosaurs were real. And he, he was not having it. And it wasn't like, it was not a religious argument, you know, where he's like, the world's only 6,000 years old. And, you know, dinosaur bones are, are, are from Satan. You know, I can, I can understand not winning that version of the argument because the person's like, God win? No, God stuff. And you're like, all right, you can't, you can't win those arguments if you don't know that. Don't, don't be the guy that's the atheist trying to argue with the religious person or the religious person arguing with the other religious person about shit that is like, you can't, can, you can't argue people out of those, those thoughts. It, it just at best offends them. And at worst, it's just like, you know, they're going to go back to wherever their, their little pockets from They're like, Hey, somebody tried to test my faith and everyone's going to be like, but you didn't let them win. And they're going to say, no, I didn't. And then the little dopamine's going to hit and all the cortisol and shit. And they're going to be like more solidified in their, in their, their patterns. In this case, this dude just literally didn't believe in dinosaurs. He was just like, dinosaurs are horse shit. <laughs> and he was not fucking with us. He was not pulling our leg. Like, it, it was literally, he was getting fucking furious. Because he was like, you know, di- bones can't last. He's like, his, his argument for why we find dinosaur bones uh, was like, basically, people are, they're all hoaxes. And he's like, I have shot deer, and deer bones will just rot if you leave them outside. And we're like, I, we know that. Otherwise, there'd be dinosaur bones everywhere. And he's like, yeah, so there can't be dinosaur bones. We're like, no. They fall in, like, tar pits and quicksand and stuff and get stuck underground. He's like, oh, tar pits and quicksand and stuff. Like, I've never even seen a tar pit. We're like, what the fuck do you mean they're real? What are you talking about? And it, it, it progressed to the point where he's, he literally said, like, I'm a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps, and I am not, not going to tolerate you disagreeing with me like this. And we're like, we literally laughed him down. I was like, no one is going to fucking accept you NJPing us because dinosaurs don't exist. <laughs> like, you're only, we literally told him to his face, like, you're just going to fuck up your own career if you say that. <laughs> In context for any Marines out there, I, I, I was at this point a two-time combat veteran. Like, this is, um, I had this conversation, I swear to God, at a, uh, Oh, what the fuck? Is that Camp Ripper? Which is the one? The No, Camp Ripper's in Al-Assad. That was where I was in my last deployment. Hurricane? Whatever Whatever uh, the main camp is in Camp Ramadi. Uh, well, it's at Camp Ramadi, but it's like the main... Whatever. Uh, we, were, we were at the transitional barracks there on the, on the far end of the, of the base, like, like a short hike from the DFAC. And uh, so we're living there, like, and this is after the, after the Sunni Awakening. And it's in the middle of a fucking war zone. <laughs> just arguing. Just fucking arguing about whether dinosaurs are real or not. And like... <laughs> the military. I know that was a divergence. Uh, so I went from that to being in college. Uh, and my happiest thing, I was just like, I want to be around other people that are smart. because. 
if you're if you're around other people that aren't at your intellectual level and people don't talk about this and I sound like I'm being an elitist but you know like even I know like I'm not the smartest person on earth like if I go hang out with a bunch of fucking people that are like you know in their mid 60s and are all 30 year veterans of working in like the field of quantum physics like I'm not going to fucking live happily in a conversation that they're happening they're, that they're having because it's going to be you know, way over my head and I'm going to feel dumb. And if I'm sitting around a bunch of like, I don't know, idiots that don't believe in dinosaurs and be like, I, I, you're frustrating to me. And like, I, I feel like I'm too smart for this conversation. And now, you know, I was being a dick too. I'm being like, don't, don't let that necessarily mean I'm not being an asshole, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to be around like my peers. You got to find your peer group. Uh, and I didn't have one really in the military because I, dude, I was just not really designed to be a Marine. Like anyone that meets me is like, I think you were because I'm like six, four and pretty well built and shit. But when I was actually in the Marines, uh, I was, I was with real fucking Marines and, and the just levels of physical, like prowess that other guys get up to like, it, dude, if you get a shower in the Marine Corps, it's like fucking like. You're you're just surrounded by dudes that are in fucking like peak physical condition. If you're not if you're not like in tip top physical shape, you get a shower and like fucking group showers. You're like, damn, I'm fucking I'm falling behind. <laughs> like this dude's got this dude's fucking pectorals look like two phone books that somebody like just gently carved and like stuck into place on a guy. It's wild. Um. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I, I wasn't up to like that level of physical conditioning and stuff. And so, you know, I, I just didn't quite fit into, to the military. Uh, and so I got out, you know what I mean? I, like, I would have never joined the military, honestly, if we weren't in a war anyway. I know that sounds like, that might sound weird to somebody that's not from that, that area, but like, that was the same, that was the thing that a lot of the guys I was in with said, like, dude, if we weren't at war with Iraq, I would have never joined this. Like I joined the military so I could fucking scrap with people, not like to be in here for the rest of my life and get treated like a child, even when I'm like 62, you know, have to fucking salute like 23 year old fucking jackasses that just got out of college. Like eat shit, dude, this is fucking stupid as fuck. But you know, 10 years ago, that was, that was me, man. And, uh, if you would have told me that I'm about to get married to the woman that like is the love of my life and that she's whole handedly and purposefully supporting my, my writing career to the point where it's like a thing that we're doing together. Like that's our goal as a couple is to get me published and help me move on to the next stage of that. Just it's fucking wild. I would, I would, it would have blown my mind. Like at that point in my life, I occasionally scribbled like short stories. Like I've always been writing. I read some article recently that was like, 23, 23 things that writers should stop saying. And it's like, I've been writing for all my entire life. That's so fucking stupid. Writers are so fucking like other people in the writing game are so fucking self-deprecating in the worst in the stupidest ways when they need to be self-deprecating in others. Like saying I've been writing all my life and you're a writer. is just like saying I've been fucking cooking dishes all my life and you're a cook or I've been playing guitar all my life and you're a guitarist. Like no shit. That's probably why you're fucking good at it. You idiot. You can say that. <laughs> it's your fucking that's the closest thing you get to a resume in this game until you're actually like in the level of people getting published and shit but i would have never thought you know 10 years after that i was actually accomplishing accomplishing some shit 
despite all the things that I'd gone through at the time, I'd had, I had a very, 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 uh, negative opinion of myself. I didn't think I was going to accomplish anything. I, I kind of just figured like I would fuck around and go to college and like, maybe I'd get a good enough job that I could play video games somewhere and maybe it laid on occasion. And like, that was it. That was like my goals because I didn't believe in myself, but always wanting to be an author was in the back of my head. You know what I mean? But I just wasn't dreaming big enough. And it took getting with Sam, you know, fuck. About five years after that, half a decade of being that guy turned me into someone that at least Sam, my, my fiance, if you guys don't know, could appreciate enough that she decided to, to stick with me and, and help me help me build this castle, so to say. And so that's where I am, man. 20, 2009 to, to 2019, it's been, it's been a fucking, fucking ride. Yeah. <laughs> I think personal growth might be the, uh, might be the, the theme of this, of this episode. Um, before I, before I get into, uh, talking about the recommendations, I want to talk about some stuff that I've been watching, uh, and, and listening to or, or reading, whatever. Really, just things I've been watching because I haven't been I haven't been listening to anything that I haven't been talking about. Nothing that would really like make any sense cogently to a conversation with you guys right now. But uh, the thing that I watched recently that I can I really want to recommend um, and and will never end up on the show because it doesn't quite fit into lit or horror uh, is Jojo Rabbit, um, the the film that came out this year from Taika Waititi, who um, is the uh, the mind behind. Uh, some classics like Flight of the Concords. I think he had a, a huge part in in helping make and obviously um, what we do in the shadows, which is probably my favorite vampire movie of all time. As far as well, my va- favorite vampire comedy movie of all time, because I don't think there's really there are any other contenders. <laughs> I think the only other vampire movie, vampire comedy movie I can think of off the top of my head is Vampires Suck, which I've never seen but just popped into my head. It's one of those like bad uh uh what do you call them? parody movies, you know, that were extremely it, it, they they started in like the mid to early 2000s with like scary movie you know, and there's like five scary movies now. And the first one, and the, even I think the second and third one were kind of good. And then after that, they just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and then there were like superhero movie and whatever and whatever and whatever. And then they kind of got into like other things like Meet the Spartans. And uh, the, the the quality dropped off to like almost perfectly zero. Vampire Suck was one of those that they brought out to make fun of Twilight, I think. And I never saw it. But the name stuck out in my head, and that's the only other vampire comedy movie I can I can really think of. If you know of one, please comment uh, on our on our Facebook page at uh, facebook dot com slash Westside Fairy Tales. It's a uh, it's a great place to be. Um, on that note, I forgot what I was talking about. Oh my god, yes. Uh, so Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that really odd that really odd pause. Uh Jojo Rabbit is wonderful. It's a story of like a little kid who is about ten, I think he's literally ten years old, eleven by the end of the movie. It all takes place over about half a year. 
uh, who's a, a member of the Hitler Youth in 1945 Germany, uh, which, as at most most people should know, was the uh, the absolute ass end of the of the Nazi Third Reich. Um, right around then was when Normandy was Normandy was not only done and over with, but they were pushing through the Battle of the Bulge and all that. Uh, Stalingrad had fallen. The Russians were pushing down into Germany, and uh, yeah, pretty much everything was falling apart for them. But you don't really, you can't really tell that throughout most of the movie. And I think I should, I just, just saying it. It's one of my favorite movies with like a little kid in it. it it's really just, it's really wonderful because there's a thing about movies these days, especially ones with kids. Where like the kids aren't kids. It's probably been like, you know, all the time. But it's rare to see a child actor in a movie who gets to be a child. You know what I'm saying? Uh, where they have the mannerisms and stuff of a kid. And I think it's because people just like lose track of who they were as a kid. You know? Um, I don't know how. I, like, it, it always has boggled my mind how people can't write ch- like child characters because you were one like I'm 32 I made this point by the way in my Patreon episode so anyone anyone who saw the uh who who heard the Patreon behind the story for this uh yeah I'm going to go down the same road again but uh yeah like I I'm I'm 32 I was a child basically until obviously I was like 18 you know what I mean legally speaking but even if i was just a child till i was like 15 that's still almost half of my entire life <laughs> like, like i don't know what happens to you or you can't remember what it's like being a kid but it, it's 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 not really something that like goes out of you and there's always there's always these characters especially especially in like comedy movies and stuff where the the kid character is written and they talk more like an adult than the adult like for reasons and sometimes I think that that's actually like a psychological thing for the writers because it doesn't, it never, it's never in movies that are good enough usually that they, uh, that you can like give somebody credit for being like a really, really good writer. And they're like, okay, yeah. So, so they were aware of this, but it's like somebody's own childhood is just talking shit to them. And, but they're, they're so out of tune with, with children that they can't quite figure that out. I, I don't really know what to, what to add on top of that, but. It always strikes me as very, 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 very off and very weird. But this is not, that's not the case in Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Jojo, who's the main character, his really name is Johansson, uh, Johansson, I think. Uh, he is, he's just an absolute, like a kid. And, and most of the story is really about how his childish understanding of the Nazi party not only isn't really his fault, it's more of a, uh, kind of a, what would you say a side effect or a symptom of just existing in a society that prides those things. And because of his, his sort of problems at home, basically his dad isn't around anymore because of legitimate reasons to do with the war. Uh, he, he tries to create, you know, he tries to find other father figures, so to say around him, or at least just make his own. And he has an imaginary friend who is Adolf Hitler. As played by Taika Waititi. It's quite awesome. Um, 
and it's it's like a real imaginary friend and it's always he's always trying to help him you know what i mean and it's really uh, a a very good and very subtle way of this kid talking to his own convictions about the Nazi party and when he doesn't understand anything about nazism and stuff cuz once he once he starts you know he runs into one of the other main characters in this who is it's in the trailer so there's a a jewish girl who his mother is hiding in their in a in a crawl space in their attic and uh you know, at first she's just like, you're just a fucking Nazi. You know what I mean? And she does not try to like see deeper into him because that's what Nazis are. And he says Nazi shit. Uh, but because he's never been challenged and they find that out later on his ideals and he's never had to challenge them to himself. Like you don't really realize how stupid his ideas are. And he doesn't, he's just like, these are the things I think because they're the things I was told. And if I do if I live my life according to these these little strictures and tenets, then I'll I'll have a good life. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and as he starts to talk to her, he realizes that things he thought about Jewish people aren't right, uh, and things that he thought about his own people are wrong as well, and and possibly even like made up and and like just insane. <laughs> and there's a lot of there's a lot of going into uh, into not even real Jewish stereotypes, but like completely made up ones. Like <laughs> one of my favorite ones is uh, he has the, the, the inter, uh, Jews are controlled by a little devil on a bicycle that runs the machinery in their brains. <laughs> so, so patently ridiculous uh, that you can really laugh at it. Well, the thing is, is all the the Nazi characters? You're you're like this is the stupidest thing anyone could possibly believe. But all the Nazi characters when they when they come across these things, they're like, oh, how wonderful! <laughs> this, this is exactly how it is, <laughs> and it's fun, and it's about personal growth, and it was done really well. I was worried, uh, I was worried that it might you know be too preachy and stuff. Things are things are too. Uh, to use a, a trope term that I don't like that much, but it's fairly effective. They're too anvilicious, uh, moral-wise in today's society. And, and it comes with these, these you know, hate to say it, but this SJW-type virtue-signaling stuff. It's I don't buy too, too much into the, all of the sides of the arguments surrounding those sort of things. But people, I think, in Hollywood especially, where there's a, a, a predominant amount of liberals believe in these same things instead of trying to make really good art they just make really pandering things that parrot talking points so that they can uh so so they can get published and get their stuff out there and you end up with these morality tales so to speak that are extremely extremely non-subtle they're not they're not very art you know what i mean uh and hollywood's always had a bad uh, a horrific and almost confrontational relationship with art over its history no one that lives there or works there or has made their money there will ever accept it but it's 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 fucking true uh there's a lot of just you know we we could make a great comic book movie but what if we made just any fucking girl power film ever where the 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 dudes are either sneering sexists or or just like petulant whipped idiots you know what i mean 
and like every lady just like is just waiting for her chance to to speak and and say that one thing that's going to change the world and you know like you 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 hear that on the outset and you're like oh well you know that couldn't be that bad but it's not fun to watch you know what i mean no one likes to be preached to that's why most people don't go to fucking church even really religious people don't go to church cuz no one likes to have the things that they're supposed to do told to them you know what i mean you don't want to wake up and the first thing in the morning someone just is like Hey, you need to run five miles, take out the trash. You need to get to work on time. Don't drink too much coffee. And then like 16 more things on top of that. You don't need that. And a lot of people already get that. They get that from work and stuff. So the point of being an artist, if you're, especially if you're going to be an artist who deals in morality and trying to sneak moral messages into things is do it subtly. You know what I mean? There is almost no point in Jojo Rabbit where someone says Nazis are bad. I'm not even kidding. Like, there, there is no, except for like, uh, toward the very end, there's not like a real moment where everyone just goes, oh, now I know that Nazis are evil. You know what I mean? That, that almost, looking at the, uh, almost looking at the camera and stuff. But you get it in all the sideways. And not just like something that's really obvious. There, there, there are obvious like, instances of uh the evils of the nazi party obviously but it's never like it's really never also played as like only nazis do this it's you know you can see how this could happen anywhere and that's what really makes it a good moral story you know what i mean it can it can apply in a lot of different directions and really being a nazi is not the the moral or not being a Nazi is not the moral of Jojo Rabbit. It's don't believe things for no reason. Don't have beliefs that you just never question and you never think about. And don't, you know, don't allow an organization or a, uh, a philosophy to govern your life more than you do because it will, it will only end badly. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I really appreciated that story for that, uh, because you just don't see that all the time. And I think it's because it's it's hard to do. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of people that get to make movies in Hollywood. They just aren't. They're just not good. They're they're not talented. They just know people. And it's like, hey, yeah, you're you're so and so's son, so you get to make a movie. And they're like, well, I'm actually dumb as shit, but fuck it, I gotta I gotta I gotta make dad happy. Why don't I cobble together some pandering horse shit and try to pass that off as, I don't know, this, that, or that, or the other, some sort of 80s nostalgia or comic book nostalgia movie, take your pick. And you just, uh, you end up with some, you end up some fucking dreck. <laughs> but Jojo Rabbit, man, is, it's lighthearted to, to, to kind of really dark at times. And, and, and it's just, it's just wonderful. And I love it. I really do love it. And you should check it out. Hey guys, so I am going to talk to you about a couple podcasts that I think you will love. These are recommendations from the Himalaya Network, which I'm a part of now, and uh, I'm going to hop right into it. The first one is Housewives of True Crime. If you're a fan of the West Side Fairy Tales, then I think Housewives of True Crime will be right up your alley. Each week, sisters Gretchen and Tabitha sit down and tell each other a true crime story while the other asks the questions everyone wants to know in real time. If you like the show, 
make sure to check out their premium channel on Himalaya where you can find all episodes free and 24 hours early, as well as exclusive content and a members-only community group where you can chat with the hosts. Simply download the Himalaya app, search Housewives of True Crime, and enter promo code HOUSEWIVES for your first month absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? Go and check out Housewives of True Crime. I love the show, and I think you will. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Also, <laughs> and 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 it it it's it's like, so like you know these are these are part of a thing where we're, we're really trying to build uh you know some some uh some momentum for each other's shows. So please do go and check out these guys' shows. I know the the copy that I'm going to be reading sounds really similar and it's it's because it is cuz they wrote the same thing for every everybody. Uh, but these guys are these guys are great and they're all they're all going to be helping out the West Side Fairy Tales soon. So I mean even if you you know, even if you got just a second, please go and check these guys out. The other podcast I want to tell you about is Morbidology. Um in Morbidology you know, hey, if I if you're a fan of West Side Fairy Tales, then I think Morbidology will be right up your alley. Each week, host Emily G. Thompson uses investigative research combined with primary audio, including 911 calls, interviews, and trial testimony to take an in-depth look at some of the world's most heinous murders. If you like the show, make sure to check out their premium channel on Himalaya where you can find all episodes ad-free and 24 hours early, as well as exclusive content and a members-only community group where you can chat with the host. Simply download the Himalaya app, search Morbidology, and enter promo code MORBID for your first month absolutely free. So, what are you waiting for? Go check out Morbidology. I love the show, and I think you will, too. <laughs> um. I hope that wasn't awkward. Uh, you really, dude, guys, please check out those shows and, and and try to support them if you can, especially if you are the type that does not like uh, Patreon because this is one of the ways to get away from Patreon is to support people while they make shows uh, on, on independent platforms like this. I, I don't know if anybody that's had their free speech stolen by Himalaya, they let you out real easy. They get ads for people. I mean, these sort of things, these independent third party platform hosts uh are are really what we need you know i know i know shows like sword and scale and you know a few others have gone basically i don't know dark <laughs> they're behind the curtain so to say but uh they um 
they have the 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 capital to create those things. You know what I'm saying? So and, and they have the the viewer base to get all of them into just an area that only has one show. So you know if it's whatever show, even if it's like a, like a Night Vale premium, if they're not on something like Himalaya or something, it only really benefits them, and that's fine for them. But for these for smaller shows, which is really what's important when you start thinking about you know not just freedom of speech, but like freedom of art and expression, for people to make stuff that is not like what everybody else is making. You know what I mean? In the podcasting space, especially. Uh, you know, everyone knows about what's happening at YouTube. And if you don't, um, basically they've changed everything about the way that they put out stuff to the point where if you want to be on YouTube, which used to be, you know, Hey, anything can be on YouTube functionally speaking with a few, a few exceptions. Now it's like, if you want our algorithms to push anybody towards your show for anyone to learn that you exist, you basically have to fit into a parameter of about six different types of shows as opposed to where it was like four years ago when there was like, you know, 525,000 different types of content. You can find anything, cartoons, uh, you know, all the makeup and lifestyle things that are, are big now and that are pretty much taking over. And, you know, political commentary shows of, of varying degrees of offensiveness or <laughs> accuracy. <laughs> they were all out there, you know, and now it's, it's turning into a place where the only thing you're going to ever be able to do on YouTube is make a, a fucking makeup tutorial or, or, or just be one of those 24 seven bloggers or, or maybe be Philip DeFranco or, or Keemstar and talk about drama and even Keemstar is getting smashed. So, you know, you're going to run out of those things. Third party apps like Himalaya and there, there are other ones out there too, but obviously stick with Himalaya cause that's who I'm with. Thank you. Please go download the Himalaya app. Find the West Side Fairy Tales on there. You know all the good stuff. But they help small people, you know, find footing and have enough money to continue creating and improving on the content that they create. And uh, it's going to keep, I, I think it could keep the the podcast medium from turning into something that literally has just like fucking, just like 16 variants of less good Joe Rogan podcasts and then like three history podcasts and 24 million true crime podcasts, you know, have some other stuff on there to kind of mix it up. Who knows? But either way, if you get a second, check those guys out. That's housewives of true crime and morbidology, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, go check them out, support them. And, uh, and, and if you end up liking their podcasts and, and subscribing, tell them that, uh, the West Side fairy tale sent you help me, help me ingratiate myself with my, with my new overlords. <laughs> okay. On to, uh, on to the, the actual horn lit club recommendations. The, the first is me talk pretty one day by David Sedaris. It was published in 2000, the year 2000. It's so, it's such a weird year to say, because you always expect People to say like literally anything after that, but it was published in the year 2000, <laughs> the last, the last good year in America, as I like to say. Uh, if you don't know who David Sedaris is, um, he's Amy Sedaris's brother. You might recognize her from I think she's a was it when uh, what do you call it? Kids, kids with candy, and a few other things. She's if, if you see her, you'll be like, oh, that's fucking Amy Sedaris, and and then you'll know who she is. But she's not she's not who I'm talking about. So we'll we'll continue on. <laughs> 
he was born in 1956 on December 26, which is kind of it makes sense with his 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 history that there's a reason to bring that up. He's uh, the creator of the Santaland Diaries, which if you never heard before, it was a series. I think it was a series, or there might just be the one, but it, it's it's a bunch of little essays that he wrote um, about his time working at a place called Santa land. Um, and it's a Christmassy sort of thing. And he was born on December 26th. So it all kind of works out. Um, and, and Sidarius is just kind of like a wonderful essayist. Um, it's not like he, he didn't really like change the game or anything, but he's, he's really nice to listen to. And he, he's very, very comfy. Um, he was discovered in 1992 by Ira Glass, uh, who you either don't know or you know too much about. <laughs> Ira Glass is the, basically, I think he invented this American life, or at least he took it over and made it like the one that everybody knows about today. He, when you do the like, hello everybody, this is NPR and you're listening to this American life. That, that voice that the first person I think that ever did that voice was Ira Glass. Um, and he discovered Sedaris by accident. He went to like a bar or something in New York and Sedaris was actually reading from his diary, which is like the Santa land diaries he'd been keeping. This was in 1992, by the way. And, uh, at the time Sedaris had been keeping the diary since 1977 and it was pretty funny. And so he's like, Hey, do you want to read this on air? And it went over so well that it basically became the thing that uh, that Sedaris does for a living after that. Like at the time, he was just working shitty odd jobs, like in the Santa Land Diaries, dressing up like an elf to support Santa. <laughs> I think it might have been at Macy's, actually. I think he was a, a Macy's guy. I can never remember like the specific details of anything about David Sedaris. It's probably the only drawback. I, I remember giant chunks of things and then like. I'll forget whole essays, which I think is just kind of the thing that happens when you're an essayist. You like, you know, it's all like, it's, it's really comfy stuff. Like I I cannot really recommend it enough. It's nothing that's going to like change your life. Probably like, uh, it's really lighthearted, humorous. It's all stuff that you could hear on NPR. And I mean, most of, most of what he's known for were things that were released on like, uh, this American life. You know, which is just like a little da 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 da, and then some some background music. This American Life is, I swear to God, I think it was like really the first podcast. You know, before podcasts were podcasts, because it was a real like almost anything can wind up there. It, it used to be my favorite thing to listen to actually before I discovered podcasts. Was I would just listen. I would listen to NPR all the fucking time. Terry Gross's Fresh Air. Uh, that one lady with the, the terrifying voice, I would listen to her stuff. And it, it's just like interesting interviews and stuff. I, I don't know why people think it's so crazy liberal. I, in general, they, don't, they just talk about random shit. <laughs> but, but anyway. Um, so on, another fun fact is that uh, Sedaris nowadays, he, he's, he's, he's uh, married to his husband. I think they're married. Uh, and they live, in, they live in Sussex, England. And he walks around his streets at night wearing a headlamp and picking up litter, uh, in the, in the streets. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, I, I read, I read me talk pretty one day, I think like almost four years ago now, maybe three. It was one of the first things that my, uh, my fiance 
insisted I read. Um, and it, it was probably one of the first things I've read that actually made me kind of mildly interested in, in, in nonfiction for a bit, even though there is some uh, conflict these days, I guess you would say, as to whether or not David Sedaris's stories are could be considered nonfiction. They're more based on based on nonfiction and and live within their own sort of realm because <laughs> it can't be like really verified a lot of the time. You know, it's just like a, a an anecdote about a dude bumping into another dude in a certain area, and most of it's just David Sedaris's opinions on things. I especially like I especially like the actual me talk pretty one day stories, which is the uh the the trials and tribulations of Sedaris trying to learn French in France from a French woman who was like a mediocre teacher at best. She was she was very mean to them. Uh which is funny to me. Because I, I, I'm always mean to myself when I speak other languages. But he gets into some things that uh, I I agree with. Um, I, I love trying to learn other languages. I just don't have the... I If you don't live in America, this might not make any sense to you, but I'm near no one else that doesn't speak fucking English, except for maybe, like, a few random, like, you know, like Mexican dudes or whatever that, you know, you'll, you'll run into working somewhere, but there's not, like, you'll be able to talk to them. You know what I'm saying? You're, you'll never go to an area, like, in... in like Canada, you can go to like Quebec, I guess, and then like they speak Quebecois French and shit. And then you can like try to stretch your legs and speak French. But if you live in fucking Louisville, Kentucky, you have to really try your ass off to find like people to routinely speak Spanish with. And so you'll never get good at it. Like, you're like well, you're right, right next to Mexico. Like I'm closer, I'm closer to the fucking North Pole than I am to Mexico. <laughs> I know I'm in America. Uh, I, I've actually had to explain this thing to the people I, that I, I thought were smart enough to know better, but they weren't, that were Europeans, and just do not understand how fucking big America is. Like, <laughs> this, this fucking, this country is massive. I think it's a, a 48-hour drive for me to hit the fucking, the very the very rightmost tip of Mexico uh, underneath Texas. Like, just driving across Texas is like 14 fucking hours of that journey <laughs> through through mostly desert, hoping that you don't run out of gas so you don't have to, you don't have to do a fucking uh, hills have eyes <laughs> overnighter in the desert. But um, I've always wanted to speak other languages, but you, you just don't have the opportunity to, to get good at them. Unless it, like if you if you live in Texas, I guarantee you, it, and you have to be an asshole almost in certain parts of that state to not pick up, you know, a lot of conversational Spanish. Just because you'll run into a lot of Spanish-speaking families, and there's whole Spanish neighborhoods and shit because of you know the the proximity to the border and and all that. But if there's a if there's a, a Spanish neighborhood in in Louisville, like I don't know where it is. I'm not saying there's not. I just I just don't know where it is and. There's no reason for me to go there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I have my bar that I go to, and then I have my other three bars that I go to when I don't want to go to that bar. And other than that, I don't leave. <laughs> I don't know what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah, but basically, there's, there's no way for me to practice 
And because I don't get that much better at it, I get frustrated because I'm so fucking good at English. Like I'm a monster at the English language. If I wasn't, literally none of you would be listening to me. So don't, don't tell me I'm, I'm being too big for my britches. But like, if I try to speak Spanish, I sound like a fucking idiot. And by the way, I do speak some, like I speak some mild conversational Spanish. I'm not going to say any of it right now. Cause I would just embarrass myself. Plus I don't know how to freestyle in Spanish. I'm not that, I'm not good enough for it. You know what I mean? Where I could just start saying the next thought that I have in Spanish. I'd just be sitting here mulling over things for like five minutes. But when I went down to Puerto Rico, I got by. I was, I, I was, I was fine. Mostly because the Puerto Ricans speak amazing, uh, perfect English <laughs> in general. <laughs> uh, and, and when they didn't, my, my Spanish was good enough that I could get the, uh, the questioning look and then the slow nod as they, as they figured out my fucking syntax errors and like, we're like, oh, el baño, baño, ahí. <laughs> that didn't happen, but that's just trying to highlight it. But uh, his 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 struggles with learning French are something that I could really I could really get behind. And I think uh, anybody could probably listen to Sedaris and find something in common with him, even though he lives an extremely uncommon life. Uh, I think there's something, I think there's commonality in that at least. Like you'd have to be a really non-empathetic person to not kind of connect with him on some level. And so that's, uh, that's, that's me talk pretty one day. It's really something you just have to check out. There's it's, I think 26 stories. So, you know, I can't get into like all of them. They're fairly disjointed. There's not an overarching narrative really to me talk pretty one day. It kind of ties itself up sort of at the end, but only like sort of. And, uh, yeah, check it out, please. Also, uh, so the next recommendation for the whore and lit club is the witch, which I say the vich because on all the promotional materials and on the IMDB and like literally everywhere, except for in like mainstream media and, uh, like Wikipedia and stuff, it's V V I T C H, which apparently the director Robert, or I see that Robert Eggers. I, I I get his name messed up in my head because I'm an idiot. I hope I haven't said it wrong in other areas. I probably have, and if you're listening, I'm sorry. But uh, because it's so close to in my head, Roger and Ebert. Like, it, never mind. I just leave me alone. <laughs> but uh, so the witch came out. Oh, sorry. He uh, Eggers found a actual pamphlet from the 1600s or something and it was like the practical applications towards uh to to finding and outing witches and it was like witches uh which is a a a, a double vowel a double v which became the w somehow uh because a v is foul in german and the uh the germanic version of that word or of that letter is uh pretty pretty ubiquitous in a lot of northern european countries they all they all kind of used that for a little while and you know it, it fell out so if you want to make that it's actually kind of <laughs> that had to have sounded so stupid i'm sorry uh, but I, I i really appreciate it and even just the odd sort of off spelling of that word really kind of speaks to the uh the heart of this movie and I'll I'll get into that all that that stuff obviously but uh let me get some some housekeeping stuff so 
The Witch was released uh, on January 27th, 2015. That was at uh, Sundance, and then it was it came out a month later on like February 25th or something like that uh, for for national distribu- distribution. It cost $4 million to make, which is kind of crazy considering how like detailed it is, um, and made $40 million. And so it, it made back 10 times its budget, which makes it a wild, like a runaway success. So, uh, yeah, Eggers gets to make whatever he wants for the rest of his life. <laughs> that's, that's basically the test. I think it was Eggers' first movie, too. Um, definitely his first, like, well-known one. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop to talk about Anya Taylor-Joy because she's one of my favorite actresses. And I'd obviously... Neither I nor almost anyone else had seen her in anything else before this. This was kind of her her debut role, which, for better or for worse, turned her into a uh, a mild and growing, I believe, you're not going to see the last of her for a while, horror icon. She's in, after this, she was in Split and uh, Glass, the, uh, oh, what's that fucker's name? Shyamalan movies. Um which she was pretty solid in, I guess. She was solid in Split. Um, she didn't say almost fucking anything the entire movie, but she did a good job of looking afraid. So, hats off to you, <laughs> Shyamalan. Um, but in, in The Vitch, she's extremely good. And it has something to do with her face. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm creepy, but I'm like mildly obsessed with the way that her face looks. Uh, not in like a, a pretty way. I mean, she's, 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 uh, a pretty woman, but there's something about, she has really like really, really wide eyes and a sort of like kind of slightly pinched, uh, Cupid's bow type lips. You know what I'm saying? And all together it, there's something really eerie and ethereal about her that I, I, I really appreciate. And it's, Honestly, if you're if you're probably writing a script with her in mind, which I'm pretty sure Shyamalan just saw the bitch and was like, "Ooh, I want her," and and brought her on. You're like, I don't know what I want her to write. I just want her to like, sort of curiously stare at stuff because it's kind of unnerving. I and I I I I love her fucking face in this show. She's not like, it's so weird. Like I remember so many parts of. The Vich are just her sort of reacting to stuff because I mean it, it's that kind of movie where 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 like things both large and small happen and it's sort of her like you know looking at it <laughs> her her weird ass face just fucking sells it every time and Anya if you're looking I'm sorry I don't know how to say it any nicer but you've got a great uh slightly uncanny valley feeling toward your 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 visage uh and it was just it was just a blast to uh to see her in other things too i hope she keeps going around you know what she reminds me of is those big eyes uh paintings if you if you never look those up you should they're they're fucking real weird it's some tim burton shit that tim burton didn't make and he was so taken by them he tried to make a movie about it i think and it failed spectacularly <laughs> um I gotta talk about Tim Burton on this sometime. He's he's a, he's I've got a love hate relationship with Tim Burton. He's an odd duck, as far as odd ducks go. But um, in addition to Anya Taylor Joy, uh, the, there's more people in the cast. I'm I'm not gonna read them off because none of them really 
stand out too, too well to me, except for the mother who's in a, a million different things and was, she was great in this too. Uh, the, the whole cast is really good, but um, I don't really like talking about casts of movies because you just end up stuck in that. And, eh, eh. I don't, I don't really, I don't really care too much unless I, I feel that there was something about them that could not be replicated by another actor or actress, you know, like such a standout performance that they, they justified it. I think in the case of uh, Anya's, weird ass fucking face <laughs> she was totally necessary for this uh because she does like over the course of the movie which uh if you don't understand if you don't know any about it, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the movie itself it takes place in 1600s uh colonial new england um i can't remember if they 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 say which colony i think you can kind of just generally assume virginia pennsylvania because of uh their the 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 rolling temperateness of it i would i would say even probably more likely pennsylvania cuz i think they get fairly snowed in when when the snow comes but uh the 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 father pisses off the local head of the church or the the head of the the local colony which is just the it's the impetus for them to leave and and so he's he's too prideful and i think he's actually too strictly religious and they're like dude you got to go like just 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 swallow your pride and you can hang out here in the village. And he's like, "No, I'm going to go live out in the woods in a very thorough-like thing, but he brings his whole family with him, and I'm going to live more purely and closer to God." And it's uh and that's the start of it. And it, you the feel of it just at the beginning of that is so fucking like it's filthy and wintry and you know stuff like it you you feel unsafe. Because the it, it it is the the vicious natural beauty of every shot. Like they they are in the woods and actually uh in the uh apparently it took Eggers like a really long time to find where he wanted to be. They originally wanted to film in New England, obviously, but New England uh does not look these days like the New England of yore in a lot of the places. Like they, they don't have it's fucking crowded as shit. If you're not from America, New England is packed fucking full of people nowadays. And where they don't have people, they have, you know, forests and stuff. And where the forests are not necessarily cheap to film because they're they're like major national public parks and stuff. And when you try to get some filming done there anyway, they didn't have the tax breaks and tax incentives that they needed to keep production costs low enough to, to film in that area. And so he had to go to Canada and Eggers was like wandering around Canada apparently until he settled on, uh, what is this? Kiosk, Ontario, wherever the fuck that is. <laughs> so they, they, they finally filmed it in Kiosk, Ontario home, uh, birthplace of the kiosk. If you've ever had caribou coffee, it was, it was <laughs> in Kiosk, Ontario. I kid any Canadians out there. If you're, if you're from, uh, if you're from the vicinity of kiosk, Ontario, take a picture of your, of your areas and, and, and post it on the, the Facebook group. You need to put it on a West side fairy tales, horror and lit club. And we'll, we'll talk about how horrifying and, and alien your, your area is and how, how isolated it is. But he found some places that look like, and I mean, really are just unspoiled nature, you know? And, um, they're just out there in the woods. They're just fucking in the woods. And and from there, they they don't realize that there's a witch nearby who is uh 
I will, uh, yeah, I'll just jump on this real quick too. Played by Bathsheba Garnet, which is like one of the best names ever. That's a real witch name. <laughs> so I, I saw this when I was, I was doing some like preliminary research on like Wikipedia and, and, and a couple other places that the, uh, the woman that played the witch, her name is Bathsheba Garnet. And she was, let's see, uh, she's 94 years old now. She was born, oh yeah, she was born on my birthday, September 17th. Uh, but 1925, and um, there's almost no pictures of her. <laughs> I checked out her IMDb, and it's just the only picture of her is like a picture from a promotional photo. Like a picture of a promotional photo where her face is just blurry and in the background. But she's the witch, and um, God, what a fucking good name! And uh, they 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 unwittingly move in near her, and. Almost immediately, a baby is stolen and pulped from the family. The family's youngest child is stolen and pulped in a fucking butter churn to nothing. <laughs> and she rubs this uh, this disgusting baby gut salve all over herself and becomes younger. And uh, from then on, the, the plot is really about just the disintegration of this family, mostly due to the father's pride. Um, and it's one of those those things where it, it, the religious story is that, you know, you're so religious, you don't realize how fucking religious you're not. <laughs> uh, and it, and it's, it's a very much the pride comes before the fall sort of thing. And as the, as the, the period goes on, it's Thomason, her two younger twin, uh, she's the oldest daughter. She's like, I think they say she's somewhere between 16 and 18, which is like of marrying age. and uh probably especially given the way that you know puritans kind of acted possibly a little too old to be around dad out in the woods because she is very young and beautiful and her mother is kind of <laughs> purposefully like i i know the, the the actress i can't remember her name off the top of my head but she she just has a great like scrawny kind of like not ugly face but she can make her face look really really crony and ugly and and mean and stupid and she just does that stuff and you know she's she's the suspicious wife of the uh of the guy and the dude's always kind of like shirtless chopping wood (laughs) it's it's (laughs) one of my favorite parts of the movie is the fact that this dude is just constantly chopping wood uh because i think it's the only thing he can do is he tries to grow uh you know crops to feed the family and he can't do that he can't hunt but he can chop wood so he's just chopping wood all the time uh but yeah, it's it's Thomason, her her younger brother, who's like I think twelve ish, and uh, the two twins that are younger than him that are both about seven or eight. And um, after that, there's a it's it's literally like a family imploding on itself because of suspicions that would normally be like more at home amongst a town. And you get to really see how like weak the bonds are in this family because, uh, you know, the 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 younger brother i think it is like starts he he notices that the the twins are talking to the goat the family goat which is his name is black thomas which is fucking amazing uh and it's a gigantic black horned male billy goat and um the little brother goes off into the woods and accidentally runs across the witch too and gets seduced by her and comes back in a a like a sort of pseudo religious euphoria and dies spitting out an apple which is it's just horrifying 
and um, things just happen. And, and basically, the whole family is functionally speaking dead or in the, the grasp of Satan by the end of the show. Uh, and it's just fucking perfect start to finish. Like, I really, I cannot recommend this movie enough. Um, it's a real filter for people that are dumb as shit. <laughs> I follow, I follow a lot of, uh, I follow a lot of horror stuff on, on, on Facebook and generally you can tell if someone's an intellectual lightweight by how they view the witch because it's not, it's a horrifying movie. It is peak fucking horror. Like it is, mm, it is so fucking good. But it is uh, a thing that will definitely like just filter out people that are like, what do you think horror is? And they're like, I think horror is when uh, four teenagers get fucking chopped up to bits by like literally anything. And if you can't, if you can't handle anything that's not like, there are no jump scares, by the way, in this film, which is like so perfect because you never get let, let off the hook. Not once. The whole fucking time you are at the edge of your seat just waiting for some shit to happen and I kind of haven't gone into it but the the music is really minimalist and 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 off-putting there's no traditional instruments used really like even the ones that sound like traditional instruments like they they it, there's strings and stuff used you know there's only certain basic types of instruments but they uh they sound real weird and they're they're played in real odd chords and it's very dissonant and and sudden and rising but there's no fucking like bam, bam, and then you're like oh it jumped ah oh no a ghost ah <laughs> there's none of there's none of that it never lets you off the hook so by the end of the movie you're just like ah. <laughs> just just fucking scare me and some people can't take horror movies like that uh, and I think it, I think it actually like makes them question things about themselves. And people get online and they're like, this is just one of the worst movies I've ever seen. This movie's stupid. This movie's dumb. I don't like the way the people talk. <laughs> like you're a fucking moron, dude. Um, and you know, if you don't like the movie and you, you hated it, don't think that my opinion is somehow sacrosanct just because I have it. And I'm a voice whispering to you from your car speakers or whatever. Feel free, get on Facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club and tell me how fucking wrong I am and we, we can have a, a real honest discussion there. But you're gonna be you're gonna be working your ass off trying to tell me that this movie's not fucking like damn near close to perfect. I still remember the 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 scene that really is like you are in the shit uh is not even it, it is a perfectly bucolic moment. But the father kneels down and has his family kneel down with him. And he starts praying hand in hand, right, before they go into the woods. And they all hold their hands up together. And as they do, the camera sort of pans out and just shows you the depth and, like, breadth of the woods. And just this, it's just this raw, primordial, untouched forest. Like, it has been growing for years. It does not give a fuck about you. And as they zoom out a little bit, you just hear the, the, the that stringed instrument that they use for it, just going, and like it, oh, dude, and it's it's like fuck, <laughs> this is gonna be bad, and it's it's because it's one of those things where you're like, these people are not fucking ready to go out there. It's really 
as much as it is a story of like it's like a, a typical not even it's not even a typical devil story, but it is like a devil story, you know, like a, a Catholic y I call I, I call him Catholic. It has like Catholo wait, Judeo Christian, there we go. Judeo Christian imagery, a Judeo Christian understanding of like Satan and Satan's symbols and stuff, and it's very based on Puritan ideology. Uh, and actually Eggers took a lot of this, like I said, from like old witch hunting manuals and, uh, the, the, almost the entire script is pieced together, uh, kind of beat for beat wise by, uh, actual confessions and, uh, depositions made by people, um, during like the witch trials and during witch hunts where people would be like, lo, did I see her come from her home on the south side of Marsh Parish and walk into the woods and curious followed her. There I found her consorting with all manners of creatures, large and small, who spoke with voices as though they were men, but crept around shadowless upon the ground. Then sprung to life a great fire, and in the fire I saw a face, and the face spoke in the language of the Jews, and said unto her, Undress thyself, and bathe in the blood of infants. And like... Dude, that shit's so fucking gangster. <laughs> that sounds so fucking cool, man. And and Roger or fucking Eggers was just like, I need to make a movie on that. And I'm just like, fuck yeah, you do. That shit's so fucking dope. That is so in line with the kind of like stuff that I like. It it's just fucking awesome. And I can't believe like people are getting online and like their complaint about this is like, I don't like the way the people talk. Fuck <laughs> eat shit, motherfucker. Eat Shit, it's so fucking good, dude. Ah! And they talk like that the whole time. Like, daughter, wife, son, husband. And like, like, ugh. It makes everything so fucking good because you're really in there. The character building, the world building is absolutely perfect. And they really did try. You know, they had uh, the, the, um, what you call it? The, uh. The, the costume director woman whose name I don't, I don't know, know off the top of my head, but she look all these people up because I'm dumb and I didn't, and I don't want to pause my, my thing to go click around and look them up. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll lose my train of thought and I'll, it'll fall apart. But she lobbied for a bigger, uh, budget. And I think she got it for, for costuming. She looked up like, like 32 different volumes or something like that of, uh, different styles, like actual real style books from the day. And found out because, sorry, uh, if you don't know this, you had to make your own clothes once upon a time. (laughs) And so, you know, it's not like you just are born knowing how to stitch together a a woolen frock coat or uh, pantaloons or whatever the fuck. So, you know, women would have to know not just how to sew these because that's just, sorry, that's just what women did back in the day. They sewed shit. And that's not, that's not a fucking knock. If you've ever sewed anything, it's really fucking hard. Uh, and these these ladies were going, you know, hand stitching. They they didn't have they didn't have uh, you know sewing machines and shit. So they would have to loom their own fabric if they couldn't get bolts of of fabric. So they would loom all that, and then they would they would cut and stitch. And and this lady basically went through all those same steps with obviously modern you know conveniences such as ordering it. And whatnot, but she she looked up all the different wools and the wool weights and the wool colors, how they dyed it, how they cut it, how they sewed it. So 
you know, down to you, you see a lot of the characters down to their down to their underwear are almost completely naked and in every layer of clothing is right. And their clothing gets filthy and they are sweaty and they are unprepared for the for the woods and shit. Their shoes are wrong. Uh, their hats are wrong. They don't have like the right kind of gloves and stuff. And you just see how unprepared they are for this. And they never even really go into it. It's not like they, like I was talking about before, anvilicious writing, just like right on the head, tell them everything because your audience is dumb as fuck. They never have to say like, Oh, our, our clothing, barely, it is not ready for this, win- this, this, this terrible winter. They're just cold. They're shivering or they're filthy or they're wet. You know what I mean? Or like, the dad is is trying to cut wood and because his work clothes are trash, he's just in his underwear basically with his shirt down around his waist, chopping wood. And you can see like even at that level, they're unprepared. And it might not be something that you naturally appreciate, you know. I'm not saying you have to go into into uh, a story and just like, now what are they wearing? Is what they're wearing like good for this sort of thing? Although it is some, it, it's something that people do bring up fairly often. You know, why is this bitch wearing this? It's supposed to be 1985. And that's like, you know, a wristwatch, that's a fucking eye watch or something. But I think it really is something that you pick up on subliminally. And uh, in my writing, especially, that's always something I think that you should try. I, I've always tried to do is go a, a single layer deeper than the lowest layer that I think that people are going are gonna to try to pick up on. Or maybe even two layers down deeper than that. Just so that when you try to dig, there's still sand, basically. Like it sucks to put an image out or or an idea out and you immediately hit the lowest point. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, this this looks like a great sandbox, but there's only a fucking quarter inch of sand in it. You know, put put a, put a few buckets of sand down in there. Let the wasps get in and live in holes for them to find. And I think that's really what the uh, what that does. Uh, the you know, just like the clothing stuff. And then you know, on top of that, the the buildings are great. You know, it, it, it's you can almost smell the set half the time. And uh, all of the lighting, by the way, is natural lighting. And what, what, what you call natural lighting, even if it's not natural. Uh, in, in photography, natural lighting is any lighting that's just occurring as part of the scene. So you don't add strobes or constants or you, know, you don't snoot anything. You don't add anything that you have to plug into a wall and set up on a stand or put on a camera. It's just if you walk into a, a like a, a 7-Eleven and like what you have is like flickering, shitty green fluorescent lights, that's natural lighting. In the case of this, uh, because it's, it's natural to the scene, by the way, if, that, if that's not obvious. In the case of this movie, he literally only used natural light, which makes it it's fucking hard to do. Because if you have to shoot on a cloudy day, you know, you have to shoot three days in a row and it's like, all right, what are we shooting today? We're shooting the scene where the fucking goat runs out and stabs dad in the fucking guts. Like, all right. If you have to shoot that over three days, you know, and day one's cloudy and day two is really sunny and day three is cloudy, you know, or even worse, rainy or really, really shitty, you know, you can't shoot on every day. Or you have to shoot on multiple days and hope that it spices together right or this, this, that, and the other. So, it makes everything harder than if you just bring lights on, bring lights out, set them up, and shine them on somebody. You know, you have the, you, you can mix all that stuff together and then change it in editing, and it, it'll look fine. But 
in their case, I think he probably actually saved money doing that because like even his interior sets are are shot with candlelight. So they basically just had like nice, good, hot burning candles set up between these people. And I, I would almost expect that he had them built because the candles don't look like candles that you're used to. They look like actual dip candles from back in the day. It's not shit. I don't think they, that they bought it the fucking, I don't know what, what Canadians, please tell me whatever, whatever version of, of CVS you guys have out there. Uh, probably some sort of Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons deluxe. I feel like, I feel like those kind of, those kind of things have deluxe versions up there too, where you're like, oh yeah, it's a CVS where you have like a CVS deluxe, which is basically a small shitty Walmart. I digress. But uh, they, they, they just, you, you crowd them around them and uh, the only light in the scene comes from those things, which is really, 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 really effective. You know, like I see so many movies where people are sitting next to like a big bonfire. It's, it, it's a, it's a common trope in horror and they're not just letting the bonfire light them. And you'll be able to tell because I know you've seen, you, I know most people have been around a fire, you know, and there's fire light is extremely and constant it flickers but it has it has a lot of layers to it there's the constant glow of the embers at the bottom which are always putting out that really steady orange light that sort of maybe slowly really long waveform pulses against people so they'll be very bright orange and then a little less bright orange and then on top of that you have the the layers of the flame which go from you know extremely close to they go literally from where the embers are up the flames go and decrease as they as they cool so they go from usually bright bright yellowish out to uh, out to a low orange at the top and all of that's flickering on people and the smoke is coming up out of there too or at least the uh the convection heat and that changes the wavelengths so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of subtle patterning but that's very much fire you know what i'm saying and uh, people chicken the fuck out when they have a nice big log, loggy bonfire like that with people talking around it and they'll put a constant light source on it or they'll put a reflector out to like build up the amount of light that's going on to somebody's face and it just doesn't look as good. It looks a little, a little fakey, a little Dawson's Creaky and like I, I don't like that as much and in this, you know, you just have the fire when somebody doesn't have any light on their face, they just don't have light on their face, which works so much fucking better for horror and I wish more people knew that because everybody there there's this weird blue lighting effect that I see in horror movies all the time that I'm not a huge fan of and I I think it I think it really like hurts everybody in the long run. It's hard to explain but if you've seen like man like most horror movies there always be this like really low almost like horizontal light that's sort of just a fill light that's hitting people and kind of like cutting out the shadows. And I hate that. I hate it in horror because it makes it look less like, I don't know. It looks, it makes it just not look as good. It, 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 it pulls shadows out and it makes it so you can really easily see the actor's faces. But nine times out of 10, I don't give a fuck what an actor looks like. Like I really don't. If you're not trying to sell makeup or something like fuck their face, fuck their stupid face. They're, they're, they're actors in a horror movie. At best, they're probably not even very good actors. So you really shouldn't be showing off their inability to emote. Um, but 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 I, I love it when, especially like you see this in like uh, Kubrick. Kubrick uses shadow. You know what I mean? People think that a part of the set isn't lit. Like you're not getting your money's worth or something. But I like, I like fucking shadow and big darks. You know, 
Hitchcock is the fucking man when it comes to this. Because, you know, he'll hit you with one fucking light. Like, what, what light is it? It is a max, max power incandescent fucking spotlight blasting the left side of somebody's face so hard that no matter what level we set this aperture at, at least part of their cheek is going to reflect too much and be blown out. And he's like, okay, turn it down until that cheek is all you can see. And then you end up with this facial pattern on somebody that looks perfectly normal, but because of the way the light's hitting them, all their, every little tiny fucking bit of imperfection around that one part you can see is just filled with, with, with dark lines of shadow. The, the background is obliterated except for like the little tiny maybe bit of gray uh, penumbric light that's kind of leaking into other parts of the set and casting itself onto the background. And even though when, if you're there and you're looking at it and you don't have a photographer's eye, which a lot of directors clearly don't in, in, in Hollywood these days, they just don't know how light works. They don't know how their lenses work. They don't know how the exposure works on their film. And you know, if, if you're just looking at it like that, you're like, wow, this, this, this set is fucking blinding. But if you know how the fucking camera works and you turn that, you just dial that all the way down. This person just looks like a fucking, like a, like a cheekbone, like the chunk of a skull. Their eyes are in shadow. The, 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 the wet parts of their eyes are reflecting just the tiniest little bit of light. And, and, and it's just, it's just incredible. You know, you just, you cannot not look at this thing. It's, it's ripping your eyes away from every part of the screen and saying right here, right fucking here. And that shit's great. And that happens in the witch all the time. You know, when you, when you're outside and it's daytime, it even feels dangerous, but it feels very wide and open, you know, like there's, there's creeks and there's always the, the ever present haunting shadows of the woods beneath the trees and stuff, but everything looks quite beautiful. But once the night comes, you only have these tiny, these little glass lanterns tiny little candle lights and they all seem so frail and everyone's clust like cluttered around them hoping that the noises outside aren't as bad as they seem you know which is landing on the roof and shit it, it ugh, it's so fucking good man everything start to finish is amazing and i'm sorry if i'm gushing this much but it's just that good of a movie and it's just that it's just that well executed and i'm i'm disappointed with myself that I haven't seen his follow-up movie, uh, The Lighthouse, which is, from all the people that I respect as far as movie criticism goes, they're like, this is one of the best movies ever made, much less horror movies. It's, it's definitely like at the top, and I, I can't wait to go see it. And uh, man, I think, I think that amount of gushing uh, is, is sufficient. I don't want to overhype The Witch. I know somebody's going to go watch it and be like, well, that was fucking lame, Tyler. Hey, don't worry. I, I get it. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up by saying, as I always say, or as I always try to say at the end of the Horror and Lit Club episodes, it is a Horror and Lit Club. You're invited. There are no membership fees. If you agree with the things that I'm saying, if you disagree with the things that I'm saying, if you think I kind of got it wrong, if you think I kind of got it right, but you want to make your own change up, hit me up. Talk with everybody else in the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club group on Facebook. I can't talk it enough. You know, if people go in there, they they talk to each other. I don't even start half the conversations. Um, and I, it's just a great place to be if you like, you know, talking about books and scary shit. Nothing's really off top. No, nothing's really, you know, off. Uh, you can't talk about it. What is that? Nothing's. 
too crazy to talk about. I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I, I talked about lighting and, and, and sound for too long, and now I've, I've lost my mind, and I need, to, uh, I, need to, I need to pull it back in. But I digress. If you want to come in and talk to me, go to the Horn Lit Club on Facebook. If you want to talk to me directly and you don't want other people to be a part of the conversation, tell me everything that I've done right and wrong here on, uh, or by talking to me directly, not here. Talking to me directly uh, at Gmail, westsidefairytales at gmail.com. Please share this episode with your friends if you liked it on Twitter. I'm at WS Fairy Tales. Uh, we're also Westside Fairy Tales on Facebook. We have Instagram, Westside Fairy Tales, which is mostly pictures of food, scary shit I see in Louisville, where I live, and, uh, you know, the occasional uh, odd thing. But until. As as far as that goes, that's that's pretty much the episode, folks. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for letting me ramble. Thanks for letting me uh, wax poetic on the nature of of light and light and its use in horror films. Maybe one day I'll get to make one, and you'll you'll see that I actually know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> I talk a lot of shit for someone with no fucking IMDb credits, don't I? <laughs> but you know the thing is, is I only talk about stuff I like. It, it's much easier to call out somebody if they only ever talk about shit they don't like. That's, uh, that's my last little bit of, of knowledge. If you ever really want to see somebody's value as a critic of anything, it doesn't matter if it's an anonymous person on fucking Reddit or 4chan or someone that you know in person. If someone only ever talks about things they don't like but doesn't have the balls to say what they think is good, you can fucking disregard them to the end of days. Their opinion is worthless. Thank you very much for tuning in please come and see my or come and listen to my next episode of the regular stories that's going to be oh heaven it'll be released it's the first story of the new decade 2020 first weekend of january tune in subscribe rate and review us share us show that you care for us much love and until next time as always stay safe out there Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.